Welcome to Antioch Raleigh's weekly online sermon. We hope that you are encouraged by this word. For more information on Antioch Raleigh or access to our other online sermons, visit us at AntiochRaleigh.com. Amen. All right. Hey, we've been in a sermon series called The Five Spheres of Healthy Church. Five Spheres of Healthy Church. And what are the five spheres? These are the venues, these are the places that disciples can go in order to grow. This is where we as disciples of Jesus can experience spiritual growth and transformation. And I want to review them real quickly, go through each of them. Sphere one is you and Jesus. We believe that every single disciple of Jesus needs to, to cultivate in their lives the time with Jesus, a personal walk with Jesus, the secret place where they hear the voice of the Lord, they're sustained daily by his presence. Then we have sphere two, which is the D group. You guys remember Chris Jolly, a couple of weeks ago he came and he shared the necessity that each and every one of us should be in really, really small groups of usually two to five or six, guys with guys, gals with gals, and it's a place where there's there's open confession. There's uh, a, a place to be vulnerable and transparent about what's going on in our hearts. That's sphere two. Then we have sphere three, the life group or the house-to-house gathering, house church, right? This is where the community is really fleshed out. The gifts of the Spirit really flow. And then we have sphere four, the gathered meeting. Think Sunday morning. Think large conference or stadium seating. This is the large gathered meeting. That's sphere four. And then lastly, we have the church on mission because we as disciples, of course, are, are called to go out into the world, into our spheres of influence and bring the gospel too. And so those are the five spheres. And here's, our, here's our really an overall thesis that we have when it comes to the five spheres. Each sphere provides a unique benefit, a unique benefit, and therefore we need each of them. At Antioch Community Church, we want to embrace all five spheres, every single one of these. It's not enough just to have you and Jesus' time. We need to be with community. It's not enough just to do missions and outreach but never have community and time with Jesus. We need all of them. We need all of them, which is why we've been going through each of these for the past couple weeks. Now, last week, Pastor Steve talked on one of the spheres. Who was here and remembers what, which sphere he talked about? Sphere... Life group, sphere three, the house to house. All right, Holly was here. She remembers. All right, paying attention. It's awesome. I want to continue building off that sphere three. But before I jump in, I think it would be really, really appropriate if we could actually honor and thank all of those in this room who lead a life group. So if you have ever in the past within Antioch or are currently leading a life group, would you? Mind just standing up so that we can say thank you for your honor and your service and your dedication. Former, current, yes, 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 yes. Please stand up. We love you guys. Uh, we thank you. We, we, we've used the term in a lot of ways. They are our, our frontline pastors. They're on the front lines. And so thank you guys. Well, here's a, here's a roadmap for where we're going to go this morning. I have three 
large points. Point number one is I, I want to open up with the, the big picture framework of, of church. What is church? Biblical framework. Number two, I want us to look at our ministry philosophy of life groups. And then lastly, there's some pastoral exhortation, some counsel I want to give us as a body. All right. When we unpack spheres two, three, and four, two or three are gathered, the life group, house to house, Sunday morning, we're really talking about church. We're talking about the crux of who is the church. What's the purpose of the church? What's the calling of the church? What does church look like? Theologians call this ecclesiology, the study of the church. And before we get into the specifics of sphere, sphere three, that's our focus today. Before we get into the specifics, I think it's so important for us as, as a community that we are all operating under, the, we have the same framework. We have the same starting point, the same foundation of when we hear the word church. Because if you were to ask 10 different Christians, what is church? Do you think you would get the same exact same definition? Probably not. If you were to ask 10 Christians to describe their experiences, their feelings towards the church, what do you think their responses would be? You would get a variety of responses. The challenge in correctly understanding the church and even rightly relating to the church is the fact that each of us have had past experiences, past perceptions, some good, some bad, that, if we're honest, they, they have at times distorted our thoughts and our attitudes towards the church. So, for instance, if you grew up in the Bible Belt, southern part of the country, when you think of church, you may think of, well, it's the building. It's the old-timey Baptist church with, with pews and hymnals and Stained glass windows, you, you think of this place, all right? That, what's, that may come to mind. For others, it's the formal service where men speak in long robes and they have this long, strict, rigid service. I think for a lot of us, church is, was the place where you go once a week to hear from professional Christians on how to obey God. Sadly, many of us have negative experiences, about the church. Unfortunately, many of us have witnessed hypocrisy or various forms of legalism. I know for me, my experience with the church has thankfully, by the grace of God, been very, very positive. I, the, the Catholic Italian background, I, I remember vaguely going to Catholic mass. I remember going to certain Methodist churches. But by and large, most of my church upbringing was with I would say, non-denominational, charismatic church of the 90s. All right? So think tambourines and flags. All right, did anyone grow, grow up going to church with tambourines? All right? I'm kind of glad that we don't use tambourines. All right? So worship team, great job. We don't have tambourines. I'm just kidding. It was later in my high school, college years, I consider myself really blessed here. I, I was able to be a part of a house church network here in the, here in the area. In fact, there's people on staff, some of our elders, they were a part of that house church network. And I remember learning, for instance, really learning that the church 
was not a building, but it was the people of God. We've all talked about it, but as this house church network, we really lived that out. And, and therefore, we, I got to witness that it wasn't 10% of the church doing 90% of the ministry. It was, it was flipped. It was this multi-participatory experience that I, I remember witnessing in my high school, college years. And it was awesome, and it heavily shaped my understanding of the church. I guess what I'm trying to communicate is this. With all of our opinions and with all of our perceptions and our experiences that we have about the church, whether good or bad, we have to be super clear and super grounded on what is God's purpose, his role, and his function for the church. So what I want to do is, for this first point, I just want to give a brief overview of what is the church and we're going to look at some of the, the magnificent, magnificent significance. Magni- say that. Magnificent significance of the church. And it's magnificent because, as you'll see, we'll just go through a few verses. We're going to be in awe of God's plan for the body of Christ. So let me just read a few verses. And this, by no means, is an exhaustive list. We could spend hours hours unpacking each of these the first one is in Matthew 16 Matthew 16 13 through 18 let me read this now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi he asked his disciples who do people say that the son of man is and they said some say John the Baptist others say Elijah and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets he said to them but who do you say that I am Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I want you to say this with me. I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. This is the first mention, the first mention of the word church in the New Testament. It's from the lips of Jesus. And there's a lot here, but for starters, who's building the church? Jesus is building the church. Not me, not a pastor, not anyone else. But Jesus, he is the master builder, which is incredible. It's so exciting. I've, I've, I've you know, followed along with Christian news the past couple years, and there's all these like articles. Oh, the church is declining, and people are leaving the church, and all these denominations are shrinking. I don't know if you've seen some of those. And you can read it and go, oh, my goodness. But Jesus is building his church. What... A lot of the news won't tell you, and even Christian news, what they won't tell you is that the church is exploding around the world. And even some of the most hardest places, the places you would think unimaginable, how could the gospel grow there? It is happening all over the world. Jesus is building his church. What does Jesus say the church will emerge victorious over? The gates of hell. I love how uh, one Bible teacher put it. He said, the church isn't on the defensive here. The church is on the offense. Listen to this. The church is aggressively attacking. 
The gates of Hades or the gates of hell shall not prevail, says the Bible. Gates are not an offensive weapon. Gates are defensive in design. You hide behind gates. Gates are to protect you. They surround the city. You, you see the picture here is that the devil and his army are bunkered down, hiding behind gates. The devil and his minions are on the run. They are on a defensive mode. Somebody's attacking them. Who? The church. The devil and his army are hiding behind the gates, and the church with its gospel battering ram is attacking the gates. The church is on the offensive. The church is the aggressor. That's the church, folks. And God is raising up Antioch Community Church, this church, to be an aggressive church. Amen? Let's look at Acts 20, 28. This is, Luke wrote Acts, he's, he's the author here, and he's describing a very, very touching scene where the apostle Paul is bidding a, a final farewell to the church that he gave his life to, the church at Ephesus. Luke describes this encounter, Luke's tw- in Acts twenty twenty eight. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to the flock, to all the flock, in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Which he obtained with his own blood. How much does God value the church? You determine the value of something by what you're willing to to give up. The son of God was murdered to save the bride. The church, with all of our areas of immaturity and disappointments throughout history, guess what? His feelings have never wavered about the church. Ephesians 3, 7 through 11. Paul's writing this, the church at Ephesus, that same church. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am... The very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach the gent- to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. It's a long sentence. <laughs> Listen to this. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. Who does God use to reveal his manifold wisdom? The church. And I confess when I read this, I don't even know what all it means. The church preaching and declaring the wisdom of God to unseen cosmic forces. That sounds awesome. I don't know really what it means, but it sounds awesome. We get to be a part of that. And then what is the adjective that's right before purpose? Oh, I'm sorry, I gave it away. Eternal. It's the eternal purpose. What's the type of purpose? It's the eternal purpose. For all of eternity, God has been dreaming. He's been planning to partner with us. There was never a moment where God wasn't thinking about his bride, his people, his church. 
us. First Peter 2.9. Listen to how Peter describes the identity, the purpose of the church. In fact, here's what I'd like you to do. I just want you to close your eyes. And this is the word of the Lord being spoken over you. I'll read it out loud. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Yes, God. Thank you, God, that we are a chosen race a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a special people, God. Let me read one more. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some of you are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. It's the regular gathering of the community that prepares us for the day of the Lord. I have a summary list, if we could put that up there. Here's a summary list. This is who the church is. It's not comprehensive. You could definitely find a whole bunch more verses, but just look at this list. The church is being built by Jesus. It will overcome the powers of death and hell. The church has been purchased with his blood The church reveals the manifold wisdom to the invisible realm. The church is made up of a royal, chosen, and holy people. The church declares God's praise and redemption. The church spurs one another toward maturity. The church meets regularly. That's why I believe in the church. Even with all the current disappointments and imperfections, and all the times we, we open up the newspaper and we're like, ah, oh, you see the article, the church, ah. Oh. Even with all of that, this is why I have hope. God's word, this is what he says about us. This is why I believe that Christ through the church is God's plan A. So whenever we have a conversation about the church, Maybe it's, you know, the D group church. Maybe it's house to house or big church gathering. Whatever the conversation may be, you have to have that as the framework. That has to be in the back of your minds. Let's move on to point number two. What is our ministry philosophy? We have a theology of church that was, I just, we just went through some of the theology. We don't talk a lot about ministry philosophy, though. We don't talk a lot about ministry. What is, what is ministry philosophy? Ministry philosophy, that's how any institution, organization, any people, that's how they attempt to apply their convictions. And everyone, every church has a unique ministry philosophy. And our ministry philosophy, it's, I'll, I'll just go ahead and say it. We're not arguing that it's the only way. We're, we're definitely not arguing that it's the best way. It's just how God has called us. It's how we do things as a family. But why though? Why why am I going to take some time to talk about our ministry philosophy? Well, there's a a metaphor of the church. My favorite metaphor of the church, it's one of the most common, is that the church is a family, 
love it. We're going to talk more about that in a few minutes. But there's another metaphor, and it's how the church is, is the army of the Lord. We already looked at earlier how the church will, will be on the, the, the offense. And in order for the church, his army to be effective, it needs to be mobilized. Right? Our body, Antioch, needs to be mobilized to be on mission to make disciples in the world. And the word mobilized just means that we need to be organized, we need to be prepared to, to, for service. That service is to go make disciples and preach the gospel. But in order for us to mobilize as a church, we have to have two things. We have to have clarity and alignment. We have to have clarity. We need to have clarity on like, yes, our theology, that's on our website, we have it up there. That's necessary. That's important. But oftentimes, so, well, do we have clarity about like, how we do things? How does our church do things? And we have people who've been here for 10 years. Some of you have been 10 years. Some people 10 months. And some of you 10 days. And we get questions. Our, our staff, our elders, we get lots of questions. And there are questions like, why do you do it like that? Why, why do you focus on this ministry? We get lots of theological questions. Those are good. But we get questions like, well, what, why do you not focus on this? What's the reason for doing that type of ministry? They're not theological questions. They're more ministry philosophy questions. And they're great questions. And we as staff, we like to hear most of them. <laughs> we like most of them, if we're honest. But we're glad they're being asked because it usually means that someone, that person, is seeking understanding so that they can go, this is my people. This is my people. Hopefully you went on our website and said, oh, this is theology. My theology lines up with you guys. If it didn't, you wouldn't be here. <laughs> More than likely, you wouldn't be here. But then you come into church a little bit and go, okay, the, the theology boxes are being checked. But then it takes a little bit longer to go, well, how do you guys do things? That's our ministry philosophy. We want to have clarity. We're going to give some clarity here in a minute. But then there can be alignment. So when you go, oh, that's why you do that. That's why you don't do that. The hope is you can go, okay, I'm in. Where do I go? How do I sign up? Where can I serve? That's the goal. So I'm going to give four points that describe our ministry philosophy about life groups. There's, we have ministry philosophy for a lot of things, but we're talking about life groups. We're talking about community, the house-to-house, ecclesia, the, 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 how do we have fellowship? That's what we're talking about. Point number one, we are not a church with life groups. We are a church of life groups. We are not a church with life groups, but a church of life groups. What that means is that life groups are not just some auxiliary ministry that's in a line, on a, in a long line of other ministries and things we do. No, no, no. Life groups, they're core. They're central. So much of the discipleship in the ministry, it's like life groups, life groups. It gets funneled, and I'll talk about this in a few minutes. If you come every Sunday you will likely hear the same announcement. It's the drum that's beat every week. Boom, boom. And what is it? If you're not in a life group, join a life group. It's like, I mean, it's, it's every week because we believe it. We have a hypothetical litmus test for how healthy our church is. If persecution 
were to break out in this nation like we see in Korea and Iran and China, and we could no longer do sphere four, this right here, because of persecution, could our church, would it still continue to gather? Would it still continue to grow and be healthy? That's a question that we're, we wrestle with, we, we think about. And in fact, a couple of years ago, we had a little trial run, right? Pretty much the whole nation. And even certain states, the church, sadly, was deemed non-essential. We couldn't do this. And by the grace of God, we weren't perfect by the grace of God. Our life groups continue to meet. They continue to be the church. And I say trial run because I was around in the 90s when there was a favorable view of Christianity in the church. And 20 plus years later, that's not around anymore. It's changing. And so who knows what the next 30 to 40, 50 years may be. We got to prepare ourselves. Life groups are the place for our, our church to continue to exist. Here's a ministry philosophy point number two. It's the primary venue for personal discipleship. Not the only, but it's the primary venue for personal discipleship. Here's a quote you've heard us say. No one was ever discipled from a pulpit. That doesn't mean God doesn't move, doesn't speak to us when we hear teachings and preachings. Jesus, of course, preached and taught to, to multitudes. But his primary method of reaching the world in three years was not to build the mega synagogue. It was not to pack out the Colosseum. He didn't do that. I think we can learn from him. The master teacher. He's a teacher. Teacher means he knows how people learn. He knows where, how to get spiritual transformation. He believed that small groups of people who are highly devoted to him and each other was the best medium for lasting learning and transformation. He's a, he's a brilliant teacher. He knew that, that that's where it really happens. What does this mean practically? It means that if you're looking to be discipled or to disciple others or to join a, a D group, we always say, hey, look, are you plugged into a life group? And we want to work that way because there's already relationships happening. There's already life, life happening. Start there. Doesn't mean it's the only way, but it's our primary. It's our primary. That's where we're, we're funneling it. Point number three of our ministry philosophy. Our life groups are the primary venue for other discipleship-related related ministries. Let's take, for instance, the ministry of biblical literacy, Bible studies. A lot of us grew up in churches where the model for learning about the Bible was Sunday school model. All right? Has anyone been a part of Sunday school? A lot of us have. I have. It's, 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 we're not, it's, a, it's a model. There's a lot of great things about it. But the model is, it's more, you, you show up and it's more about emphasizing what you're learning from the teacher and you're not there to grow deep with the person on your left and your right. It's, it's systematic study, week to week. I got to learn, nothing wrong with that. But that's not our model. People ask us, well, do you guys do week to week Bible studies? Well, we do meet week to week and we do read the Bible, but it, it's not the Bible study that I think you're asking about. We get that question a lot. Our model is that the life group, 
our, the life groups are trained to read the Bible. But here's the difference. As you gain greater knowledge of the Bible that's in your hands during a life group meeting, we invite you to gain greater knowledge of the person on your right and your left. As our life groups read through Ephesians and learn about how, where it talks about husbands and wives, we make sure that we talk to each other about how's your marriage. As our life groups read about Luke 4 and Jesus being the anointed one who sets the captives free and sets the, those at liberty who are oppressed, we make sure to, to make space to ask one another, well, where are you being oppressed? Do you see the difference? That's our model. The accountability of relationships is what helps the Bible go from here to here to here. Let's take the ministry of prayer. We've had people rightly say, hey, we need to pray more. I agree. We need more nights of prayer. We need, the pr- we need a prayer room. I was like, yeah, we need, I would love a prayer room. We need corporate prayer events. We need to contend for the revivalist nation. Yes, 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 yes. And while we do have a few annual events dedicated to prayer, while we do gather weekly, Wednesdays and Sundays, for corporate prayer, our ministry philosophy says, that, says this. We equip our life groups and its leaders to be the first layer of prayer covering. We train our life group leaders. Create prayer lists. Pray weekly. Cover the people by name. Our life group leaders do that. While the life group gathers together to pray and contend for revival, we're making sure that we're contending for our marriages, our families, our kids. In other words, our activity of intercession will be linked with the arms of those we do life with. It's a difference. It's a different model. Let me give you one more example. What about the ministry of evangelism? How are we reaching the lost? Well, besides the fact that we have a missions pastor, Holly Haas, who, if you're willing, she will send you to the most unreached, lost places in the world. We do that. We have Virginia Blinson, who leads a life group devoted just to seekers and people who are wanting to grow about Christianity. We do have very centralized places. But for the most part, we see our life groups as the primary venue for evangelism. How so? Life groups are the place where you can come together and you go, man, this is my coworker. This is my family member. This is my neighbor. This is what's going on. Can we pray for him? Oh, yeah, yeah, let's pray for him by name. Oh, man, let's, can I get some strategy? Can I get some creative ideas on how to reach that person? Oh, yeah, yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. Our life groups become a support center that fuels the evangelism that happens in your sphere. But also, life groups are the place that we invite people who don't know Jesus to come. Hey, we have cookouts, we have game nights, we have worship nights. And it's totally understandable if someone comes and like, I don't know what's going on. But there's a sense of belonging. I remember this is predates my time at Antioch, but it was, we had a, it was a house church think life group. And there was a, a, an international student that we were really loving on. Uh, his name was Yue. Had a hard time pronouncing it. And we had a hard time pronouncing his name. He's from China. And he really, really, really wanted to be Americanized. So we had an agreement. Hey, what if we called you Jackson? He said, I love it. 
Why Jackson? I don't know. It was just, we just called him Jackson. He loved it, though. And I remember Jackson. He'd come. He was pretty clear. He was like, hey, I'm not a Christian. Grew up in communist China, atheist background. But he was hungry to belong. And, I mean, I think it was years. Every, every, he would just come for years. And he was clear, like, hey, I, don't, I'm not, I can't take the, the Lord's Supper. I can't take it. That's for believers. But I'll tell you what. When we would worship, he'd be like, shout to the Lord. And it, it, he would just be singing to Jesus like he loves Jesus and knows Jesus. And what I learned is that he belonged. He had a sense of belonging way before he ever believed. But he did end up believing, praise God. He, he ended up believing, get baptizing, and became a follower of Jesus. Our life groups can be a place for that. Final ministry philosophy point of our life groups. They are the primary venue for developing leaders and people's giftings. By the way, it is so healthy for a disciple who, to have an ambition to want to grow in ministry, to grow in even leadership. It's a noble task, and we want to foster that, and we believe that life groups are the perfect place. That's the venue where you can grow in that. So if you have certain gifts, gifts of teaching, worship, prophesying, and there's no doubt, there are, I'm sure, many of people in this room that you have that, those gifts, and you, God may be calling you to be in front of groups of 10, 50, hundreds, and thousands, and we want to support that. And so one of the ways we support it is start with a life group. Take the risk. It's a safe place to risk, to risk learning how to prophesy, to risk learning how to pray and, and, and how to preach and how to teach and how to love. The same could be said for positions of leadership. We have a, 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 a saying that goes along with this. It's, here's the saying, before you ever get a title, learn how to use a towel. Before you ever get a towel or title, learn how to use a towel. And there's a lot of pride because I look at our, our elders, every one of our elders, and I go, before they were ever an elder, they served and volunteered, and they still do. I, I think of Nikki Hayes, who just stepped down as our kids pastor. Great job for five years. Bef we hired her to be our kids pastor because for two straight years, we couldn't get her out of the kids' room serving. She was there all the time. I, same for you know, our brother, Michael Pierce, we, we, we said, hey, would you be the youth pastor? Because he had served and volunteered for a year. The same goes for all of our staff. Here's a recap. I got a recap of our ministry philosophy. There you go. Hopefully, as you listen to each of those points, I hope that you discovered a, a common denominator. Our ministry we prefer relational over transactional. We prefer the relational over the transactional. Here's what I mean by transactional. That's the, the exchange of goods and services that, that you get, you perform, and then you go on your way. And has, has the church at times, have we become that at times? More of a, a transactional people than a relational people? The bottom line is that we, we're going to be a family. We'll, we'll never be a business. We're going to be a family, not a business. So we've talked about our biblical framework. I've given you a little bit about Antioch's ministry philosophy, who we are. 
Now, thirdly, lastly, I want to share a brief pastoral exhortation to all of our life group members. We spend a lot of time each week I really helping people, persuading people to be in life groups who aren't in life groups. But I do want to spend just a couple minutes at the end speaking directly to those who are in life groups. And I was praying about this. I was taken to a passage of scripture by the Apostle Paul. Great apostle, missionary, planted churches, but he never forgot how to be a pastor. And he said this in 1 Thessalonians, one of the, maybe one of the first letters he wrote. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 14. And we urge you, brothers and sisters, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. The first thing he talked about was admonishing the idle. To admonish means to exhort. The idle, those were the undisciplined. Thessalonica had a problem with some freeloaders. Physically, spiritually, they were freeloading. He had to address this in a couple letters. They were not taking up responsibility. A major mark of spiritual maturity is that you begin to think of others, not just your own needs. And there's only one type of person in this church that is allowed to be a freeloading, irresponsible, self-absorbed. And those are babies. (laughs) If you're a baby, okay, you can act like that. But for the rest of us who are growing up in Christ, we need to mature. So yes, find out how you can serve in your giftings. We talked about that. But then serve in the areas where there are needs. Here's another analogy. It's the difference between being a renter and being an owner. How many of you have ever rented a car and said, hey, I'm going to take it to the mechanic. Let's get this thing fixed up. No, we're, we're, we're riding the brakes. We're going 100. We're just, we don't care. There's no long-term investment. Our mindset is completely different when we rent versus when we own. Are you, if you're a member of our life group, here's my question. Are you a renter or are you an owner? Here's some practical ways to contribute to your life group community and become an owner. Host. I think we got a list up here. Host. Prepare a meal. Organize prayer. Lead worship. Organize the monthly schedule. Prepare a teaching. Spearhead an outreach. Help with the kids. Stay and clean up. Stay and clean up. That's a good one. Take a new person in your group out to eat. Lots of ways to be an owner. Admonish the idle. Paul also encouraged the faint-hearted. To encourage means to impart courage. The word faint-hearted comes from two words, small and then spirited. Your faith is small. Your ability to trust is small. And so I'm going to apply the faint-hearted to the relationally faint-hearted. There are people here in life groups, maybe because of poor relationships, disappointments from your past, it's hard to trust. It's hard to have faith in community. It's hard to have faith in others. It's hard to be real. So if that's you, here's my encouragement. You are one or two deep relationships away from incredible breakthrough. Incredible breakthrough. I know every one of our life group leaders in this church. I've ministered alongside the core of this church for 5, 10, some 15 years. And I know that their desire for every life group that we have is that it would be a place where you could feel welcome, that you can be you, you can be open and speak the truth and love, but never shamed. That's our home. That's our heart. 
Here's some practicals. If you are a faint-hearted, relationally person, share your testimony. Ask for prayer and be specific. Confess a struggle with the D group. When the life groups break up in the D groups, actually go. <laughs> I had one guy was like, yeah, well, we scheduled a D group. No one goes to those. I was like, okay. When someone says or does something you disagree with, have a conversation about it. Don't be silent. Give one to two people in your life group permission to speak truthfully into your life. Let them know about your blind spots. Paul also said to help the weak. Help means to support. The weak literally means those without strength. And when I was writing this sermon, I, I had particularly in mind, I, ha- I had some of our leaders. So some of the, the, those leading, or maybe there, there, are, there are several of you who are actually carrying a lot of weight in our life groups. You're maybe at the opposite end of idle. You're certainly not idle. You've just maybe been carrying too much. You're without strength. And I want you to remember Jesus. Three years of intense ministry carried a lot. No doubt, physical, emotional, exhaustion, drainage from all the ministry. Yet I believe he never, ever, ever got burned out. How is that? It's because he knew where to abide. Remember, we need all the five spheres. Sphere one. So my question, if you are maybe just burned out in general, but particularly within life group, you're relationally just kind of, I'm done. Are you plugging in? Sphere one. Here's some practicals for the week. Take time to be still, pause, and hear his voice. The simple rejuvenation of his presence may be all what you need. Two, you may need to delegate more. And when you delegate, be specific and ask someone specific. Rarely does the broad, hey, does everyone want to host, usually ever get a response. Because everyone assumes that someone else is going to do it. Or thirdly, your role may need to pivot. Finally, though, Paul said this, be patient with them all. How did Paul end his mini exhortation? He said, be patient. Authentic community doesn't come easily. Think of everything that it takes for a family to grow. To become mature, to stay together, the years of training children, establishing family values, all the acts of service, forgiveness, grace, all the times when one person's desires have to be lovingly laid aside for the desires of others. It's easy to talk about community, but it requires a kind of mutual, resilient, persevering commitment that is all but absent from our churches. It took Jesus three years of day-to-day discipleship, life on life. To get 12, to get 12 ready to be the pillars of the church. So whether you're a life group leader, a core member, someone new to life group, building real community, community that remains takes time. And if you're weary in doing good, I will end by saying this with what the, Paul, the Apostle Paul said, in due season, do not grow weary, for in due season you will reap if you do not give up. Wherever you are at in the journey of seeking authentic community, community, keep pressing in, keep sowing. God promises fruitfulness if you do not give up. I'm going to invite our worship team to come up. Jesus' method to save the world can be traced back to Jesus in a life group.
I'm going to invite us to stand up. And I have a, a series of questions I want to ask you guys. How can we and you individually lovingly respond this morning? Maybe you need to renew your commitment to, to the church. Maybe you've had, you've held on to this sour attitude of, yeah, the church, and you need to repent. And you say, Lord, I need to recommit myself to what you're always committed to. Maybe you've gotten some clarity on, hey, this is who Antioch is. Lord, how do you want me to jump in? How can I serve? How can I make this my people? Maybe you're one of the idle. Maybe you're one of the faint-hearted. Maybe you're one of the weak. And my encouragement to you is to take a minute as we close. We're going to pray in a second. And just ask Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, how are you leading me this morning to respond? Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that we get to be your body. And Lord, if we are completely honest, we have screwed and messed up this whole community thing so many times. And Lord, I personally, but also corporately, just repent for how as we, how we as a church, but the church in general at large have failed to be the place where your presence is fully manifest in love. Lord, we really desire to be a people that when those outside of our four walls see us, they go, they are truly disciples of Jesus because they really know how to love one another. I want to be a part of that people. Holy Spirit, we take a moment just to pause and may you speak to us and how we can lovingly respond. Thank you.